Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Again, that's paratruthradio.com forward slash paratruth. Go check it out. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when the mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And this is episode two of season five and episode two of the series that we are dubbing Ghost Hunting 101. Now, last week we talked about building a team, have a reason why you want to get into ghost hunting, that sort of kind of stuff. So we wanted to build on top of that and go into equipment would be basically your next step because you're not going to do much ghost hunting without proof. So there you go. So getting started, Eric, tell us a little bit of the, just the basic equipment that people can pick up. Yeah. So the basic equipment is pretty much the type of equipment that just about anyone can afford. These are things you can go to your local Walmart or Kmart, if Kmart's even still around. And <laughs> it is here. Up. It is here. It is there. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I think Bismarck's a little behind on the curve of the futures. <laughs> we, just, we just lost Sears, and Sears owns Kmart, so I'm guessing not much longer. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to... The basics, I think it comes down to three possible options, and all of them are really good, and you don't need them all. You can have one or two, uh, but I think the three are the best. And one is an, EV, uh, an EMF meter, and the EMF meter doesn't have to be expensive. I remember my first EMF meter. I think I got it for around $30 or something like that. It's a piece of plastic. I remember You push that an orange button, <laughs> but it worked. I mean, okay? it, it, it did the it job. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So 30 bucks, you could probably get them cheaper than that on eBay or if I don't like eBay, but if you guys do, you can get it on eBay, you can probably find it, a deal on Amazon, uh, those kind of things. So EMF meter, definitely a good one. Uh, the next is a digital voice recorder. Now digital voice recorders, again, you'll see on these, uh, TV shows that people are using expensive recorders that are mm. several hundred to thousand dollars. That's not necessary. Uh, a simple, cheap digital recorder is plenty fine. You can pick up a digital recorder from about 10 to $30 as well. Uh, and that's going to give you plenty of options and space to go ahead and do your recordings. I know my 
my digital digital recorder. And I think actually you picked up the digital recorders for us. Yeah. And yeah, I think you purchased two of them. Yep. And they were pretty cheap. Yeah, but they're they not expensive. Held, yeah, but they held hours of information. Uh, and the good thing about most digital recorders, especially nowadays, is that it'll set up different uh, files and folders for you. So you mm-hmm. can list, you know, put everything from day one into folder A, then move over to folder B, and you can go ahead and type in information so you can, you know, access it easily, know where everything is. So it's really nice, and again, you don't have to go expensive. You can stay nice and cheap, and you're really not missing out. Uh, they're really good at picking up stuff, and we've always had success uh, with our UPs. Well, one thing that I wanted to say about that is even if you have the old school tape recorders, like, and from what I've heard, sometimes it's a little bit better to have the tape recorders because apparently it makes a white noise to get better readings. But we always had good stuff with the just the digital recorders. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, the third thing, and probably the final thing that you really need, would be a camera. And in particular, I'm talking about a snapshot camera, a still camera. Right. Uh, you don't really need a video camera. You're likely not going to pick up too much unless you're shooting in IR or ultraviolet or something like that, night vision. But a simple snap camera would be fine. Uh, and you can actually just pick up disposable cameras. That's what we used to do. We used to pick up some disposable cameras on occasion and just shoot around with them and then print them all out. And it's cheap, you know, yeah. a couple bucks. And again, it does the trick. Uh, most people I think have a regular camera, use one of those. You probably even use your cell phone nowadays. I don't really know how cell phones would work, but I'm sure it'd be fine. Uh, so yeah, those are the three things that you would need, the three basic things. And probably the fourth thing, which would be a bonus, which personally I think everyone should have anyway, is a flashlight. Because the majority of ghost hunting happens at night in the dark, which by the way, isn't necessary. There's no real reason why anyone hunts at night other than they use their infrared or night vision right. cameras. You can still do an investigation during the day and have just as good of uh, evidence as you would in the night. So unless you're looking to get into that witching hour and a three o'clock demonic hour, or something yeah. like that, it's different. But if you're hunting at night, flashlight is important, mostly for your own safety uh, you're not going to spot a ghost with a flashlight. So. Right. Well, I think one of the biggest things with the whole night thing, it brings into like what we talked about last week with the whole ad- adrenaline rush. If that's what you're getting into ghost hunting for, nighttime you're going to be scared. You're going to hear things go bump, and you're going to be like, oh, my God, a ghost. So I think that's how it kind of got started with ghost hunting. But, yeah, one thing I've actually kind of learned over the years is a, whether it's ghost, demonic, some type of other entity, why would they care if it's nighttime or daytime? Yeah, people say supposedly the moon has an effect on activity and that sort of a thing, but I don't think that's really proven per se. That's all I had. Okay. I was going to say, I don't have an answer, but okay. So, yeah, so absolutely. I I agree with you on that. Um, But now in regards to evidence, or I'm sorry, 
in regards to equipment, those are your four basics. But of course, it gets a whole lot more elaborate when you decide you want to start splurging and spending more money. Uh, and we're talking about 100, 200, 400, 800, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and there is quite a bit of things. We're not going to cover everything on this list because uh, some of it is just, I think, ridiculous and a little outrageous, but <laughs> they're not necessary, you know. Um, I think, Justin, you probably have some fun little things that you would add that you have that you want to talk about. Uh, I have more of the basic, simple things that most investigators use on their big teams. So, I don't know, which way do you want to go? Do you want me to start off with some of these normal, like, cameras and stuff, or do you want to get into some of the fun stuff? Yeah, let's start with the basics. I mean, because some, some of the stuff, I mean, yeah, it looks cool and it's fun and exciting, but truthfully, sticking with the basics, first and foremost, is going to be the cheapest. And secondly, I honestly don't know going expensive with some of these gadgets are necessary so i I feel Mm. stick with the basics and then we can kind of give them an insight into some of the other things that people have come up with right okay so let's begin with cameras and i was going to separate these between still cameras and video cameras but i think we're going to link them together because there's no point in talking about an infrared camera and an infrared video camera they're the same thing just one shoots stills the other one shoots movement uh, so the very first one and most popular is indeed the infrared camera or video camera. Uh, basically, all this does is it detects infrared radiation that would otherwise go undetected by the human eye. Unless, and this is, I think this is scientifically proven, uh, you can learn to access and use the corner of your eyes when hunting or when investigating. Yeah, it you is can see into the infrared on the mm-hmm. peripheral vision. Exactly, which is why you might often say, oh, I saw a shadow out the corner of my eye. And maybe you did. You probably wouldn't have seen it looking directly at it, but the infrared side of your eye was able to pick it up. And that's what infrared does. It picks up those little uh, shadows and movements that you otherwise wouldn't notice uh, with just your regular eyes if you're looking right at something. Uh, And that works, again, Still camera will pick it, will pick up infrared, and video camera will do the same thing. The only difference is, again, one has movement. Uh, the next one is the ultraviolet camera. Ultraviolet is actually something that we've never even worked with or seen no, when we were yeah. investigating. Those were uh, getting into the more expensive too, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so the ultraviolet cameras, uh, again, whether still or video, is basically, well, I guess I'll, let me tell you what ultraviolet is first, because some people are like, well, you know, what does that mean? Uh, but ultraviolet is a electromagnetic radiation with a wavelength from about 10 nanometers to 400 nanometers. Uh, these are shorter than that of like visible light, but longer than x-rays. Uh, basically what that means is we can't see it with the naked eye. Does it show uh, what the is, difference is between infrared and ultraviolet? Well, the difference between infrared and ultraviolet is the wavelengths. So with ultraviolet, again, you're looking at anything from 10 nanometers, which is considered extreme ultraviolet, to 400 nanometers, which is simply ultraviolet. And then infrared is on the opposite side of the color spectrum. Okay. It comes after red and is around 700 nanometers and above. Holy crap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Where, again, 
the 400 nanometers uh, is on the left side of the spectrum, which is just above violet. Okay. Violet is the last color on that side of the spectrum. Uh, so yeah, that's really the difference there. Um, and ultraviolet, I mean, that's UV radiation. It's what you see in the sun. That's why when you go outside, you get sunburned. It's ultraviolet light that's doing that. Uh, so UV radiation is, of course, present in sunlight and constitutes about 10% of the total light output of the sun, which is something to be aware of. Um, so what this is going to do, these cameras, is basically allow you to see that ultraviolet light. Uh, if you've ever looked, you can probably look up at pictures on Google and type in ultraviolet pictures or something like that. It's really cool. Ultraviolet light is really interesting. It often shows up in purple colors. Uh, it's the way the filter is for the ultraviolet. Mm-hmm. And it is believed that, again, spirits are able to manifest on this part of the spectrum. Uh, nobody knows why that kind of science just isn't really explained. It's suggested, but there's no definitive reason as to why spirits would show up on ultraviolet or infrared. The final camera, well, it's not the final camera, but the next camera, which I think is probably the best option if you want to spend big bucks, it's called the full-spectrum camera. Mm -hmm. Again, this comes out in both still and video. Uh, video is relatively new nowadays, so I don't know if it's going to be as accurate as the stills. But the full spectrum camera is basically just that. It's built to see the full spectrum of light, uh, which includes both the ultraviolet and the infrared lights. Um, and in terms of the nanometers of science, we're looking at everything from 10 nanometers all the way up to the opposite side of the spectrum. And why this is important, I think, is because instead of spending money on an infrared camera and then spending more money on an ultraviolet camera, you could buy one full-spectrum camera and then buy the filters that come along or that you can purchase with it. And what the filters will do is block out the ultraviolet side of it or it'll block out the infrared side of it, or it'll block out the main colors that we can see, the blues, the reds, the yellows. And you can choose what you want to see. If you don't want to see the full spectrum, throw a filter out there, and it's suddenly an infrared camera only. Oh, that's interesting. You want I didn't ultraviolet? Know that before. Yeah. So, and it does the same thing with ultraviolet, too. Um, and so, again, this is one of those... We see this a lot on Ghost Adventures and Ghost Hunters as well. They often use picture uh, still cameras, though. They've never seen them really use a full uh, a video camera. But they usually set these up on the outside of the the buildings and then just snap pictures throughout the night. Oh, okay. uh, often it's on, like, automatic snaps. And I think Zach Bagans even, he, he will take the camera inside and snap photos, too. And, again, it gives you this purple hue with the full spectrum. Uh, the next thing is night vision cameras. Night vision. I don't think night vision person. This is a personal thing. I don't think night vision is actually that important when investigating the paranormal or at least investigating ghosts because night vision is going to be more accurate when picking up signature, like body, like full physical signatures, you know, uh, body heat and stuff like that. Uh, you're likely not going to see a ghost with night vision because night vision usually shows up in white and it's allowing you to just see better in the dark. But if that's the case, why hunt at night? Just hunt during the day if you well, want to see better in the dark. 
It would be a good substitute for a flashlight if you're not using a flashlight. I think well, yeah, for what sure. a lot of them think, but. Well, I agree, but if that's the case, I mean, which is ridiculous because you're spending a thousand dollars on a <laughs> yeah. camera, you can spend five dollars at your local dollar store, you know. Not only that, um, you're not always pointing the camera where you should be looking because if you're in a abandoned psych hospital and there's a hole in the floor, you're not going to catch it with the camera unless you're looking down or partially slanted down. So, mm-hmm. right, absolutely. So night vision, I think it's really just user's preference. If that's what you want in night vision, it's cool. Um, I don't think it's important. And again, unless you're doing like uh, cryptid investigations where you're hunting for Bigfoot or right, something like yeah, that, yeah. that's then definitely you should get a night vision camera for that because you'll be able to see much further in the dark than you would with just normal eyesight or even a flashlight. So that's really the only thing I can think of as to why you want a night vision camera. And then the final camera, which is actually one that we did use, um, is the infrared, or sorry, is the thermal imaging camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thermal imaging camera is basically just that. It's what you think it is. It locates heat sources, uh, or in this case, with ghost hunting, the lack of heat sources on occasion, or in most cases, because uh, it's widely believed that when a ghost manifests itself, it draws energy and makes the surrounding area cold, and in and of itself is cold. But again, that's not always true. Sometimes you'll pick up heat sources. We've seen investigations where evidence has shown up to show a heat source, a yellow or a red on a bed where somebody or something was sitting but none of the investigators had ever touched or sat. So, or even air blowing out of a vent too. Mm-hmm, yeah. So, thermal imaging cameras. I mean, if we're talking about expensive, those are going to be the most expensive thing you're going to buy, and you are going to be up in the thousands of dollars for those. Uh, are they necessary? I don't. I don't really think so. Um, if you have money to splurge and spend, then fine. Right. Well, why not? Yeah. But if you're looking to budget a little bit, yeah, yeah, I don't think thermal imaging camera is really that important. Um, I mean, in my opinion, if you're if you're wanting to keep it in a super tight budget, the bare essential necessities that you said at the beginning is more than adequate. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the only reason a thermal imaging camera could come in handy is if you really wanted to set up like a full spectrum and a thermal just in case. Like if it's in a large area that people say they see ghosts walking back and forth a lot or, you know, something like that, maybe you want to have both those cameras set up to try to catch something. You know, we often hear this about uh, haunted battlefields. People will see a spirit walking across the field. Yeah. So having those two things may be... A good, maybe a good thing, you know, having a thermal imaging camera. Again, like when we used it, we never caught anything with it. Uh, but nothing saying you won't. I've seen people catch plenty of stuff with thermometers. I actually, believe it or not, still have that DVD of the thermal no imaging. Yeah. What? Dude, I, <laughs> I so if I can get if I can get a file for you, I definitely will. But yeah, we did an investigation and we've talked about this on air. 
um, in a uh, business building and we had another team with us and that's how we had the thermal imaging cameras and they had them running and I, I, I do still have that footage. That's cool. <laughs> I, I think about it every once in a while. Like, remember when they took a picture of us all, like the group in the thermal? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I had that picture because I... It'd just be cool. I wonder if that. Um, I'll have to look and see if that image is on there. We'll have to post it on uh, Paratruth Radio's web yeah, or Facebook sure. page. <laughs> so, when it comes down to cameras, those are pretty much your full line of stills and video cameras. Uh, these are again going to range in prices depending on who you're buying from. Uh, most of these cameras are typical cameras that you can pick up. They're Sony's. They're Canons. Uh, they are GoPros that happen to be hacked, basically. Uh, you know, some of these, the, mostly the way to get some of these things like ultraviolet or full spectrum, you've got to go in and take out the filters within the camera to protect, that protect the sensor from ultraviolet light. Uh, and you got to pull all that stuff out. So these things are going to be more expensive than your basic cameras that you pick up. So moving on. And I think this is where some of your stuff might come in handy, Justin, some of the things that you want to talk about. Uh, let's talk about detectors, EMF and MEL a bit. Okay. Uh, so we did mention earlier to get an EMF detector, but let's talk maybe a little bit about the types of EMF detectors there are. Absolutely. Pro- probably the most famous detector is the MEL meter. Yep. And the millimeter is a number of different things combined together. And actually, we'll, let's, let's combine it because I was also going to talk about thermometers on here. Oh. Uh, it's so, the good thing about the millimeter is it already has a thermometer. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, it actually picks up EMF and the temperature. And again, temperature is important when you're ghost hunting because it is believed, again, that ghosts, when they draw energy, will make the air around you or the atmosphere around you colder. And so usually a thermometer is used to find cold spots, which could indicate that something is trying to make its presence known. So the millimeter, you got your thermometer, you've got your EMF detector, and if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, it'll record some of those things as well, uh, so that you have them on back files, so you can re- reference it later. So apparently, it also has an EMF field output. Um, meter from from itself so that you know okay. what the difference is okay yeah yeah so I, I mean it's pretty simple straightforward relatively easy to use uh so these things are going to run you anywhere from a hundred dollars to approximately three to four hundred dollars depending on what model you get uh, obviously the more expensive the more things supposedly it can do and you know do you really need a four hundred dollar <laughs> no, come on. Well, like, like we've said numerous times and at the very beginning, the basic is just fine. But Yeah. I mean, the $300 one is, it's all, I mean, it's kind of cool, you know, glow in the dark buttons. If you like glow in the dark buttons, you know, that's, yeah. that's cool. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. So, <laughs> another meter, which is very popular, uh, maybe not so much now as it used to be, is the K2 meter. And the K2 meter is one that we used quite a few times on our investigations, but it was also very annoying. 
And actually looking at them right now, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I wonder if they've upgraded them since then, but it doesn't really look no, like they, they didn't. have. Uh, so the thing with the K2 meter is it has this button. It's like a little plastic flap that you push down and you have to hold it down in order for the, the EMF detector to work. And so what we would have to do during an investigation is slide a penny or a nickel or something like that in between the flap and the cover of or the case, which would then hold the button down so your thumb doesn't get tired during an investigation. They do make them where they're automatic, but it makes it a little more expensive, too. Yeah. Which, you know, the, the K2 is significantly cheaper to begin with anyway. Right. You're looking at approximately 60 bucks. Uh, and of course, again, the price can jump from there, and it depends on who you're buying from, uh, the websites and things like that. Right. Uh, but along with EMF detectors, there are what are known as EMF triggers, and that's one of the things you want to talk about that you came across are some of these triggers that people can use when investigating. Yeah, the um, we've been looking at GhostTop.com. FYI, GhostTop.com, if you're listening. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. You should sponsor our show. Anyways, uh, there's a interesting thing on there called Boo Buddy and Boo Buddy Jr. And there are these bears that are emf triggers and at first when i looked at it i'm like no you're not going to do this to a kid to see if a ghost is like haunting them or whatever they think it's cool to be a ghost hunter but um after looking at it and reading the description really what it is is if a spirit feels comfortable like if a spirit feels that a stuffed animal is a comfortable thing it'll approach it and it will trigger a light on there to show that the uh, spirit or entity is there. And apparently there's one that um, the the Boo Buddy, not the junior, is. it says, I talk, I interact. And so it gives responses to if there's something there and if it's trying to interact with you, it it's actually kind of an interesting concept, but at the same time, when you first look at it, and you, you would probably have the same reaction as I did, is you're not going to give this to a little kid. But it was an interesting thing to to see that these people at GhostUp have done a lot of research and have found things like the, the uh, Boo Buddy where a spirit supposedly, I'll say, will interact with it. Right. And I've seen these used before, and if usually what they do is they'll use them when they're investigating supposed haunts, 
that are haunted by children spirits. Uh, That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, though, and the bear isn't always the only trigger. Sometimes they'll put other toys out, you know, balls, things like that. Uh, some of which do have, like, for example, they might put a little train out and then place a REM pod on top of it. So a REM pod is basically a magnetic field detector. And it's believed that if a spirit were to approach it, uh, and that a spirit gives off this magnetic whatever wavelength, then the REM pod will light up and let you know that the spirit is near. And you'll often see that people will put like a toy on the ground and then set up several REM pods around and it'll like a certain parameter. Yeah. And it'll create like this gate or such when the spirit walks in, the REM pods will beep, go off and you know like, okay, there's something over here. But yeah, you know, another piece of equipment on here that is interesting, but in my opinion, isn't necessary is the laser grid. Um, and this is, is again on ghostop.com, but I'm sure a lot of people use it. And it's, it is a good concept because if you think about light reflection and how we're looking at infrared and that sort of a thing, if something interrupts the laser grid beams, then something must be there, but I feel that it can be misinterpreted if somebody is in the room and the camera doesn't pick them up, but it picks up the uh, interruption of the of the laser grid. So, yeah, it's cool, but at the same time, I don't think it's very necessary. Well, the laser grid is kind of kind of an upgrade to the Connect. Uh, which is what was used originally and still is used. Uh, the Connect is basic. It's, it's your X, you know, the thing you plug into your Xbox, basically. The, yeah. So it can see you moving. Uh, you would put that in, use IR cameras to see the light grid and then, you know, find things that way. Uh, usually when you're using a laser grid scope, you're going to have two cameras set up, one on the scope or near it and then the other one on the wall wherever the grid is. That way, if something passes before it or in front of it, you can then look on the other video camera to see if it was one of your investigators or if there was anything else that might have passed. Uh, and it's actually very similar to the way we do it in the film industry. You would set up your coverage, which is your wall where the laser grid is pointing, and then you'd have your 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 wide, which is a wide uh framing of the entire room, which includes your grid and your little scope. That way you have two documentations of whatever it is that you're catching. And then you, again, you can prove or disprove that what they caught was real or not. Okay. Well, so there are ways around it. There are ways to use it. I, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessary. I think if you have all this other equipment. You're going to catch something anyway. So having the grid is, it is kind of pointless. Do you think there's a way of that it would it could be misinterpreted as well? What do you mean? Like a a, a misreading of something being there and it really wasn't. No, not with the grid. Not unless there's a fluctuation in the amount of energy that the laser is putting out. Uh, so basically, what I mean, if like a bad if it if it was electronic, maybe like it was plugged into a wall. 
then you have the possibility of electricity fluctuating and okay. then having flicker. Uh, with a battery, it's the energy is a little more consistent. So you're probably going to have a consistent output of energy, which will keep glazer from flickering and whatnot. If something were to pass in front of it, it'd have to be a pretty significant mass, have some mass to it. Uh, and again, in this case, it doesn't have to be physical mass. But if you pass like a feather or some dust falls down, you're not going to see much of anything. You know, A feather maybe, but again, you'll catch a feather if you have the right coverage set up for your camera. Uh, but dust and things like that, particles, that's not going to be an issue. Okay. And these things are often set up high off the ground. So it's not like you're going to get a, you know, a mouse or a stray cat or something like that running through and messing up your, your stuff. The other thing that I came across on ghoststop.com is the 360 video camera and it's pretty expensive just because it's got full spectrum and night vision on it. And it's, again, it's a cool item to have. Especially if you're trying to catch an entire room, especially like if you have like a super big room like we did at that business building that I was talking about earlier. But again, is it necessary? Eh. I think it's cool. Not either I'll way. Tell you what, but here's the thing. Yeah. But here's the thing that I do like about it. You can basically set this thing up in one room. And you can cover the entire room. If you're using just a normal camera, you're going to only get one side of the room at any one angle. Time. Right, yeah. So having 360 is pretty darn nice. The problem with that is because it's 360, it's going to distort the image. Uh, think of a fisheye lens. A okay. fisheye lens is going to distort everything, make everything seem kind of rounded. This is the type of thing that those flat earthers, weirdos, uh, often used to explain why the Earth looks curved when it really isn't is because we're using fisheye lenses, which, again, isn't true. We're not using fisheye lenses up in space. Um, you can do the research on that. But that's the only real downfall I could see to this, because if you do have a distorted image, that can really screw with your evidence. Especially if like somebody walks in the room. If you walk into the room... For example, at night, and this thing, uh, what is this thing? Full, oh, it, it shoots in night vision and, and full spectrum. Right. So either way, like, you're going to become elongated probably and be, you know, what, you're like five, ten, right? And suddenly you're going to be like seven feet, depending on where you're standing. And it's going to look really weird and you're going to look thin and big pool. You know, and you'd be like, oh, what the heck is Holy that? shit, we caught an alien, not a ghost. Right. Alien. You know, I mean, it could screw, it could definitely screw up your, your investigation a bit. So there is that. Uh, I haven't seen it used before. I, I know it has been used. Uh, it was used on TLC's paranormal lockdown before. Okay. Uh, I haven't got a chance to check it out. Maybe I will because it is kind of interesting and I'd like to see what kind of footage it takes, uh, or shoots. But other than that, I, I think, I guess there's pros and cons to it, you know? Yeah. You have to be extremely technical about your your viewing of the evidence. Make sure you're checking everything, double-checking everything, triple-checking everything to make sure you're not somehow messing up the evidence. Well, that's why I think that going overboard with the equipment, is it, it can seriously mess up the investigation, especially when you're going over evidence. Not necessarily, but in the end, I think basics is a good idea. 
So Right. Which actually makes me, I'll bring it up at the end. It's going to be kind of my closing statement in regards to equipment. But I want to touch base on that again a little later. Uh, one more thing before we go to break, and this is probably the last piece of equipment that I know you're going to want to talk about a little bit, and that is the ghost box. Yeah. Once upon a time, known as the Radio Shack Hack, uh, which is what we used to do. Well, I mean, the, the, the Radio Shack Hack ghost box. The Radio Shack Hack was the the cheap way of doing it, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is what everybody did because it was a cheap way. Right. I mean, when you go on, when you go on to onto a you know, in the investigation, everybody would talk about the radio show, uh, the radio, got the radio shack hack. Do yeah. you have a radio shack hack? You know, instead of calling it a ghost box. Nowadays, you call it a ghost box because now people are buying them, which is ridiculous, but. Right. Well, and and they're, they're kind they're called spear boxes now, um, but the radio shack hack, what that was, was a, um, basically a, um, um, a Walkman, pretty much, any type of, of portable radio that you would open up, cut out a couple of the um, prongs in it so that it, it would constantly circulate on um, radio frequencies without stopping when you hit, like, the search button. And now that I've been looking at a lot of these new ones, it, it looks like it... It works on the same premise, but somehow it, it seems like it's a little bit different in a sense. Um, but basically what it does is picks up on these frequencies and what the Radio Shack hack did is pretty much the same thing. It would pull up words that were supposedly, I'll say supposedly because we really don't know, but they were answers to questions that, that we were asking during investigations. Mm-hmm. And what this kind of originated from, I'll, I'll bring this up because I did some research on it, was the Frank's box. And the Frank's box was invented by Frank's uh, Supption. I don't have a date uh, uh, for you guys, but he had kind of done this research. And what he was saying he was doing was not initially for to communicate with ghost or spirit, but to create a raw audio source for EVP. So in a sense, create kind of a white noise. Now this has since evolved from the Frank box into what we know as the spirit box today. And I don't know. And we can get this at the end of the show, I guess, but in my opinion, it's very speculative at best because we did use it and it, it was, we did get some good results, some not good results from it. So at at best, it's very speculative when you're looking at, um, evidence is concerned in my opinion. But why is it speculative? Like, I mean, there are pros and there are cons to it. Because Uh, it can be random. It can be very random at best because you're circulating through frequencies of radio shows. And that's why I feel it's very speculative because it it can be very chance. Um, yeah, in a sense, I get what where they're coming from with this uh, uh, piece of equipment and 
how it works. But at the same time, who's to say you ask a question and that, and that very instant, somebody on a radio station was saying something that would correlate with what you were asking. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that statement? No, I do agree. Um, I mean, I I was never really a fan of the ghost box. It always, well, mostly it annoyed me because it's so freaking loud. <laughs> um, I hated the darn ghost box. But um, no, I do agree because a lot of it can be very much just coincidence. I think the ghost box has gotten better since then. Uh, there's a whole lot more white noise than there is uh, right. regular radio channels. Right. When we did the radio, sh- the Radio Shack hack, we would always get little blips of commercials or programs that were running. Right. Like, um, and those would come in without asking questions and they wouldn't tie into anything that we were investigating. So there is that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you like, I think in both of our opinion, if you're using the ghost box, you need to take it all with a grain of salt. Is it cool to use? Could be. Is it something you should use? Maybe. Uh, should you use it in your evidence? Absolutely not. Anything that you catch or find, no matter how significant on a ghost box, should be thrown out immediately after you hear it. If it helps you in the investigation, if it helps you personally think of more questions to ask, different ways to investigate, fine. But you can't bring it to, to, to a client and say, hey, look, this is what we call on this thing because it's not significant. There, there's nothing that's hardcore 100% evidence on it. It's simply a random chance. And it could go one of two ways. So I, I think, think it's, it's cool if you're doing like a, an abandoned warehouse or like we used it at Indigo Lake. But yeah, I, I agree yeah. there. All right, folks, we are going to break here. You've been listening to Paratruth Radio right here at paratruthradio.com as well as the numerous places you can find us. We will be right back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like listening to beautiful voices like ours instead of reading words, then head on over to Audible where you can get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash paratruth where you can choose from over 180,000 titles for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or mp3 player what's up folks welcome back to paratruth radio as always my name is eric and i'm justin and we have been talking about all of the different ghost hunting equipment things that you can buy uh or rent or borrow or (coughs) steal (coughs) um (laughs) if you're one of those criminal people who deserve to be slapped handcuffed and all that stuff anyway um, we've talked about a lot of different pieces of equipment, uh, from your basics to your, to, to, to your, uh, professional, uh, camera equipment, uh, your EMF detectors, your digital voice recorders, your ghost box, your trigger objects, all kinds of different things. But there is one thing, technically there's five things that are probably more important than all of those pieces of equipment. And the best part is you don't have to spend any money on them. Though not everyone has them all. But nonetheless, doesn't mean you can't use at least a few of them. And those are your own darn senses. When you're investigating 
Use your eyes. Use your nose. Use your, you know, taste. Use your hearing. Use touch. Uh, those five things are going to help you more than any of it. Now, I'm not saying, and I, I can see the look on your face, so I don't know if you're going to ask or not. Probably not. But people, don't go around licking things if you're going to use taste. Because that's just freaking weird. No, I wasn't going to ask, but what I was okay. going to say, refrain from speech because that's one thing that you don't want to be doing during an investigation. Yeah, well, speech I mean, unless really you're good. asking a question to, if, if you're doing that type of investigation for spirit communication, but yeah. Anyway, so uh, you might be wondering real quick, how do you even use taste in an investigation? And that's a mighty good question. Uh, but there are, there have been people who have tasted things. Uh, it's believed that spirits can manipulate things and therefore manipulating a taste or a flavor or something. So, you know, if you smell something, how often is it that you smell something you can almost taste it? Taste it, it right. Uh, you smell copper and it tastes like blood. You know right. what I mean? Uh, it's one of those things. So they're connected, so that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. So sense of smell very important in investigation. Uh, you know, the smells of tobacco, alcohol, perfumes, uh, sulfur, things like that are going to indicate, help indicate what might be around, um, or tie evidence or something like that. Uh, hearing, obviously, you want to pay attention to your surroundings. You want to make sure you're listening for little knocks, little noises, things being tossed or moved. Uh, footsteps, et cetera, et cetera. Sight. Again, it's dark. But if you're using a camera, uh, an infrared, uh, or a, a night vision, make sure you're, you're visually aware of your surroundings, uh, both in hunting and also in just safety. You know, know what's happening. And then touch. Touch is not so much going around and touching things unless it's, you're touching something that's super cold. Or, or even like feeling the air that's cold, but it's actually feeling your surroundings. Uh, you know, people have talked about getting goosebumps or feeling the hair on their neck get, you know, raised or feeling the chills or feeling really hot and feeling scratches on them, things like that. You want to be really aware of your body and your five senses because they're going to help you more than anything. Those senses are going to lead you to know where to take a picture, where to place your digital recorder, where to set up your EMF detectors, things like that. And quite honestly, if you're interested in just the thrill of it all, just use your senses. Don't take equipment with you. When people, yeah. you know, as a kid, when I went into the bathroom and said Bloody Mary three times in the mirror, I didn't have equipment. But I can feel things, you know, and obviously yeah. all that stuff could often end up fake. Uh, I don't recommend people go and do the Bloody Mary thing because who knows? Right. You're opening doors. But, um, yeah, man, f- five senses are your number one greatest pieces of equipment, and they cost you absolutely nothing. Well, here's a good question for you. Do you feel that the person that isn't even doing ghost hunting should have a piece of equipment like the EMF reader because it can cause hallucinations where it almost feels like your house is haunted if you have... Uh, rogue EMF fields in in your house, that well, sort of thing. Wait, you're asking if someone who doesn't investigate should have an EMF detector? Not necessarily should have, but do you think it's a good piece of equipment to have if I see, sure, you're I getting see. weird feelings or anything like that? Sure. I mean, so EMF detector is definitely going to pick up on anything that distributes EMF, uh, and that's going to be basically anything electronic. 
Uh, it could be a television. It, most likely it's going to be your, uh, you know, your circuit box, you know, things like that are going to give off high EMFs or could give off high EMFs if they're not, um, sealed properly. If they're, not, if they're not wired or have misfires, that sort of a thing too. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. So if you do feel, Again, this comes down also to your senses. If you start feeling dizzy, nauseated, you start getting headaches, these are all things that could be a result of EMF, high EMF exposure. EMF isn't going to kill you, at least it shouldn't, but it will make you dizzy, it could make you feel sick, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, you know, having an EMF detector isn't a bad thing to have on a, just as a regular piece, you know, like a tool, like a, mm, any other right, tool that you would right. have. That's what I was saying, yeah. Yeah, it, definitely. It's good to have. It's like people who have CO2 detectors. It's not a bad thing to have. You know, not everyone has them, but there's nothing wrong with having them either. They can potentially save you. Uh, and EMF, again, I don't think you have to worry about being killed by a high EMF exposure, but at least you'll know where the source is coming from and maybe you can fix it. And then you don't have a ghost. It's just simply, you know, a right. call to your electrician or whatever. And right. that's that. So. Well, and that's why I bring it up because, I mean, in and of itself, EMF probably couldn't kill you, but it could cause somebody to lose their mind if they don't know what's going on and possibly commit suicide, that sort of a thing. Yes, I can, I could see that happening, but. I mean, I mean, it would take a lot, right? Yeah, I, I hear you, but it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. In my opinion. I suppose nothing is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that was pretty much all I had because all this other stuff is just uh, just bells and whistles as far as ghost hunting is concerned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a digital recorder is great. A camera is great. If you're trying to catch evidence. But if you're doing an investigation, say you're doing an investigation of your home and all you really want to know is your is your house haunted. I think Eric has a very good point. Your five senses can tell you a lot just doing that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, remember as we're coming down to the end here, all of this stuff, all the equipment, you know, all of that is cool and all, but the moment you use it to make contact with something outside of our realm, you're opening a door and that you never know what's on the other side there. It may seem sweet and innocent, but trust me, it can change in a heartbeat. So take precaution, heed the warning that I'm giving you now. Opening those doors can become very, very dangerous. I can't tell you how many countless investigators have ended up going home with attachments have had to quit investigating because of the attachments who have been hurt and beaten and bruised because of them. I mean, it is a dangerous thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the Bible clearly tells us to stay away from such things. Do not communicate with the dead. Do not, you know, uh, indulge in divin- divination or anything like that. There, God himself heeds us, or heeds us, gives us warnings for a reason. And it is very clear in the evidence and in the research of common day, the 21st century, that what God said is true, that opening these doors can indeed hurt you. 
So again, heed that warning. In the end, it's up to you, but use extreme caution. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I had talked to somebody else and we were talking about Ouija boards and I had mentioned that, you know, today the paranormal investigators that are using digital recorders and everything, that's the modern day Ouija board. And yeah, when people hear Ouija board, they think, oh my gosh, evil, but they hear ghost hunting and they're like, oh my gosh, that's cool. It's the same concept. You're opening a doorway. You're you're doing something that is going to potentially put you in harm's way. You're asking questions and you're receiving answers. Yeah. That's exactly what you do with the Ouija board. So, absolutely, it's so, just easier now. Right? Yeah. And it was it was just a funny conversation because it's like people hear tarot and crystal ball, and I that's what I brought up the paranormal investigation. They think none, nothing of it, but you say Ouija board and like. Oh my God, that's of the devil! Don't don't use a Ouija board, but you're you're looking at the same concept no matter what you're using. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, folks, that pretty much wraps our show here to or this episode here today. I uh, hope you all enjoyed it. I do want to go ahead and I want to say promotion. I'm trying to think of a better way to say. Plug. Yes. Yes, I want to go ahead and give out a shameless plug. Maybe it's shameful. I don't know. <laughs> but so I am starting a new podcast and it is not paranormal. But if anyone is interested in the film world and the creative, and I'm not talking about simply setting up cameras or acting, I'm talking about all of it. Uh, doing makeup, setting up artwork, uh, doing the camera, doing sound, doing catering, food and stuff like that, all of it. Uh, I am starting a new podcast called All the Hats, and it's basically a podcast about all the hats that people wear within the film industry. And we talk about not only how to go about making films and becoming a part of a film, but how to actually step into the industry and what the industry is doing today. Uh, it'll help you get a better understanding of the film industry, better understanding of why you're seeing what you're seeing on television today, uh, and in movies, and overall, give you, hopefully, a good educational knowledge and build skills that you otherwise may not have without going to school. Uh, so if anyone is interested in checking out All the Hats, it is premiering this July. It'll probably be about mid-July. Uh, we've got four episodes in. We're doing all the, the post-production now on that stuff. You can go to facebook.com forward slash All the Hats, like it. And you'll get all the information that you need from there. And I'm sure I'll probably put something up on, on uh, our Parachute Facebook page. Eventually, it's not going to happen tomorrow. But I might put up one or two. It won't be a weekly thing uh, because, again, Parachute is a paranormal podcast, and that's what I'd like to keep it. Uh, but you will get these probably shameless plugs every once in a while. So if you guys are interested and you want to know more about it, feel free to email, uh, email me at all the hats pod at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to talk to you guys about it. Uh, otherwise, if you have any questions about the paranormal stuff and about our past investigations, you want any more information on some of the equipment we've talked about, uh, maybe links or helping you find anything, feel free to email us at paratruthradio at gmail.com. Also hit us up on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all those fun, fancy social media sites. 
Um, and check out our website at BearTruthRadio.com. Yep. And I do want to encourage everybody to make sure that you're liking, sharing, and subscribing no matter where you're at. And uh, we do have the usual plugs for our networks that we're on, which is TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, and Conflict Radio. So make sure you're checking those guys out because there are many other shows on there that uh, are of great value to anybody in the paranormal community. But until next week, where you will find us, same time, same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.